into the party wagon and hold on to your pizza. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Epic Tales from the Sewers. I am your host, Justin, with my co-host, Mr. Eric Will. How you doing, Eric? Doing fantastic. How you doing there, Justin? I'm doing great, man. It's it's a great time to be here. We have a very special guest today. He is a writer, a director, an actor, and uh, most recently, the writer of Teenage Ninja to Mutant Turtle, becoming the real Raphael, Mr. Ken Scott. How you doing, Ken? Hey, guys. Justin, Eric, it's good to be here with you. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Um, I, I know we were talking a little bit before, and uh, I'm super excited because... Um, you know, we're, we're really big Ninja Turtles fans. Having just finished your book, there's there's like so much in here that's good. And um, just to all the listeners, like the way it's written is hilarious because it's like these stories that he puts in there in the way. It's just like you, you can picture it. You're like, oh, no, he didn't. You know, it's like like these little stories. It's like, yeah, I really shouldn't go out drinking. But I did. And if you can picture Raphael going out drinking with Toka, you know, from, from Ninja Turtles Secret of the Ooze, that's kind of like where this is going. And I'm like, man, this is my kind of book. You know, yeah, it's and, and Toka can drink. Yeah, that's that's what uh, this was saying. <laughs> you were saying in the book here. So I guess the uh, the, the most obvious uh, question to ask you up front is um, what's Vanilla Ice like? <laughs> uh, man, Vanilla Ice. First of all, I give Vanilla Ice a lot of credit. He was kind of, um, and dare I say, he was in the position that Eminem was in much later on. But Vanilla Ice was the first. He was the, kind of a, a big crossover guy. I mean, he when he worked on uh, Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, he celebrated his 21st or his 22nd birthday. I can't remember which one. I think it was his 21st birthday on the set. And he was already famous for Ice Ice Baby. At 21 years of age. So you can imagine what a crazy position to put this guy in. He's dating oh. Madonna. Yeah. Uh, well, when he showed up on the set, kind of two things went awry at first. One was he showed up on set with an entourage. And I had never, I didn't know what an entourage was. I had never seen one before. <laughs> and he showed up with all these kind of backup dancers that are in the movie with him and then other people. And I mean, everybody around him. And then, then, then they threw a surprise party for him for his birthday or whatever. So he was kind of walking around with all the sort of sass that you might walk around with as a 21-year-old with an entourage and a hit record and all this. So he wasn't doing anything really to endear himself to anybody around. The second thing that kind of went awry a little bit in the connection with, with uh, Mr. Van Winkle was the producers treated him like a, a rock star, which he was just took care of him, whatever he wanted, whatever you need. Can we get you lunch? You want a chair with a bigger pad on it? Whatever you, whatever you want. Conversely, the four of us who were playing the turtles, the actor turtles, um, man, we were doing hot, sweaty ass work 12 hours a day. And we had to fight tooth and nail just to get any comfort from the producers. We had to fight tooth and nail just to get a trailer that had air conditioning in it that we could all go sit in just to cool off during all this work. So when we saw the way they were treating Vanilla Ice, it created a little anxiety for us as the Ninja Turtles. So we didn't, look, we didn't enjoy his company too much, but we never really got to know him that well. When we finally got to work with him, uh, there's this scene in the club and you've got all the Ninja Turtles and they're all in their costumes. 
and it, the room is filled with smoke to give it this kind of certain atmosphere and it's hot sweaty work in those suits and he's doing the ninja rap and we're all dancing and doing our stuff and the guy cannot remember the words to his own song that's freaking crazy and, yeah we had to stop and start <laughs> so many times and when you're in a turtle suit you're wearing 60 pounds of stuff and it's only getting heavier the more you sweat in it and absorbs it like a mm-hmm. sponge the more that went on, you can imagine the more aggravated you get when you're like, come on, just do your song. So there was a lot of stuff there that created a sort of a, a mixed reaction of, of working with Vanilla Ice. To this day, though, it's one of his most popular songs ever, the Ninja Rap. He plays it to this day. And I have friends of mine that travel around with him and dress as the Ninja Turtles. and do No the kidding. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, he's, you know, he's really had a spiritual transformation, hasn't he? You know? Yeah, you know, I mean, when you go through it, you go through it, right? And, and he did, for sure. You know, he was not the first choice of musical guest to be in uh, Secret of the Use. When the producers were trying to get a commercial tie-in, they reached out to, I think it was SGI Records. I may have that name wrong, but I think it was SGI. I think you were right. Yeah. And... Um, they were looking for an artist. The first artist that was proposed to be in Ninja Turtles 2 was um, Wilson Phillips, which was a trio of girl singers from the late 80s and early 90s. One of them was the daughter of Brian Wilson. from Carney Wilson. Yep. Yeah, Carney Wilson. Yep. And they had an amazing hit. I think it was called Hold On, but I'm not really sure about that. They had an amazing hit. Well, it turned out that uh, Wilson Phillips was not really a thematic fit it wasn't on brand with the ninja turtles who were from new york and in this environment so vanilla ice was on that same label and that's how ultimately vanilla ice got moved into that slot because that was a better fit for the turtle sensibility i definitely it's so funny because like you you look back on it now and and i i don't know how you know the future will will view vanilla ice but i remember i was in fourth grade at the time and it was like that was the biggest thing that was going on. Like between that and like, maybe if they got the new kids on the block, that would have been the only other thing that would have been as big at the time. So it, it was smart. It was a smart move. So, but, uh, so the, the interesting thing um, I, I noticed about this is from reading your book, you know, you, you talk a lot about being a ninja and wanting to be a ninja on screen. You were an actual ninja though, because uh, a ninja is someone who practices, is a martial arts practitioner and uses stealth, you know, to uh, find out secrets and things like that. And I'm reading through the book and I start chuckling and, and you know, um, my fiance goes, what, what are you laughing about? I'm like, he just stole the script. I'm like, he just went in and ninjaed, you know, I mean, and stole the script to the movie, you know? And I was just thinking, I'm like, this is friggin' brilliant because the entire book, you know, that has this whole section on, on uh, Ken in, you know, the, the first Ninja Turtles movie is he's just trying to get more airtime, more screen time, trying to get that SAG card. And here he is. He's got the keys to the kingdom and he knows what's coming. And I'm like, this is friggin' brilliant, man. Yeah. Well, what you know, it's interesting. What most people don't know that's in the book is, yes, I portrayed Raphael in the movie, but I didn't start as Raphael. I started as one of the foot soldiers. And you, and- you did a couple of them, didn't you? Yeah, well, I I really started, I mean, almost at the lowest rung, and I use that term loosely, the lowest rung that you can as an on-screen performer. I was hired originally as what was called a special abilities extra for $75 a day. 
And, you know, an extra is somebody who walks across the background of the pizza parlor or the bus station in a movie, right? Well, when you're playing one of the Foot Clan, who's the bad guys working for the Shredder, you've got to be a martial artist because you have to get in fights with the turtles and get beat up and move around like you know what you're doing. So you had to have a special ability. So we were special abilities extras. They shot the movie in North Carolina and they brought in all the major players including the stunt guys that were doing all the fighting for the Ninja Turtles. And they were all from Hong Kong for the most part, except for Ernie Reyes Jr., who was Donatello. But it was all these amazing world-class martial artists that were doing that. And in order to have bad guys for them to beat up, because they were filming in North Carolina, they put out a casting call to all the karate schools around the North Carolina and Eastern Seaboard area. So karate practitioners from all the tournaments came in from all over North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Some even came from far as Chicago and New York to hear about these auditions. They came and they auditioned for a legendary stunt coordinator and fight choreographer, Pat Johnson, who worked on the original Karate Kid movies. And Pat was in charge of hiring basically 20 martial artists to be the foot soldiers. Most of them to be in the background and a team of five to be the premier guys, top martial artists that did all the stuff. Well, when I auditioned for Pat Johnson and did all my martial arts, because I've been doing it since I was 12 years old, I got hired to be one of the 20 martial artists, just any old martial artist. So when I was told to report to work, I showed up and I saw that he had a couple of other guys that he was using all the time. Oh, every time we got to choreograph this fight, it was before we were shooting the movie. It was all during rehearsals. So we had our own soundstage, we're doing rehearsals. He's, he's picking out different foot soldiers and matching them with the stunt guys from the turtles. We're choreographing the fights. And I wasn't really getting a lot of you know, play. He wasn't paying attention to me a lot. And then it turns out I got lucky. There was this one stunt where a guy gets hit on a skateboard and none of the guys could do it. And I stepped up and I sort of made myself heard and I said, hey, I think I can do that stunt. And I ended up showing him in the rehearsals that I could do it. And I did it so well that that caught Pat Johnson's eye and the choreographers from Hong Kong. So from that point forward, I became pretty much the premier foot soldier that you see in the movie. Uh, certainly there's a lot of other guys, Paul Bean and Tom DeWeer, who do some great work. But when you watch the movie, for people that know it really well, there's a scene in the first movie when all the foot soldiers invade April O'Neil's apartment right after they throw Raphael through the skylight and he's unconscious. In that scene... <laughs> I am the foot soldier that's crashing through the skylight after Raphael. I'm swinging on the rope and crashing through the windows. Uh, I'm calling for the battle axes. Pacentos, now! I'm chopping the battle axes. I'm doing a lot of the main featured fight gags you see, including probably my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie when Michelangelo goes, oh, a fellow chucker, eh? And they do the nunchucks. I'm the guy in black doing the nunchucks against Michelangelo. So just from that one moment, I got to do all this stuff as a foot soldier, but I was still a special abilities extra doing all these things. And I knew that I wanted to be an actor. And the most important thing a young actor could try to get besides talent and acting classes is a Screen Actors Guild card. And there's a long story about it being a catch 22. You have to go through all these, you have to jump through all these hoops to get your Screen Actors Guild card. But once you have a union card, then you can work on television and movies and all that. So you got to go through stuff to get it. Well, one of the ways to get it is you got to get hired to be in a movie. 
Well, they won't hire you to be in a movie unless you have a Screen Actors Guild card, but you can't get a Screen Actors Guild card without getting hired in a movie. So you have to find a director or a producer that's willing to do extra paperwork and hire you for a movie. And SAG will be like, okay, we'll let him in because you did all that extra paperwork for the movie. So it came time to do a scene where one of the foot soldiers talk. And um, Pat Johnson came to me, asked me if I would do the part based on certain circumstances. And he told me that would give me my Screen Actors Guild card. So I went from being an extra to shooting the scene where I'm calling for the battle axes and you hear my voice, the Santos. And I actually shot a whole other scene about turning Donatello into turtle soup, but it was cut from the movie, probably because of my terrible acting. Um, and so that got me my Screen Actors Guild card. So that was another level up from being an extra. But then early on in the movie, right after we got started pretty much, the stunt guy from Hong Kong who was Raphael, uh, there's the scene in Central Park where Casey Jones hits him with a cricket bat and he saws through the air and lands in a trash can on his head. When they did that, the stunt guy broke his nose and he couldn't wear the turtle suit anymore. So the director, the producer, the stunt coordinator were going crazy. They had, they were losing money. They had to replace that Raphael. Well, apparently I had done well enough as a foot soldier that they came to me and said, if you can fit in the new, in the Raphael suit, you're going to be the new Raphael. So I went to the creature shop. I squeezed into the Raphael suit and made myself fit where this little skinny guy from Hong Kong was originally. And I became the new Raphael. So all in the course of like a month of rehearsal and then into shooting, I went from being an extra to being what's known in the credits as talkative foot number two. And then I became Raphael. So that's uh, so for those that don't know, that's what I did in Ninja Turtles. And then in Ninja awesome. Turtles number two, I became what's called the actor turtle where I wore the Raphael suit with all the electronic servos and motors in it. And somebody else, Hosun Pak, was the stunt double for Raphael. So when you're, when you're doing the oh. acting turtle, right? Um, are you saying the lines in the scene? Uh, yeah, basically what happens is um, there's four guys that play each turtle, right? There's an actor turtle who wears the costume with all the servos and motors in it. Then there's a puppeteer off camera who um, is uh, basically working with the Jim Henson organization. And they're uh, actually operating all those servos and motors from a remote control. And then there's a third guy that does all the action and fighting for the turtle. And then finally, at the end, when the movie's done, a fourth guy comes in and lays down the voice. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, they, they, they dub him because that's how we get like Corey Feldman and, you know, uh, Brian Toshi right. and Josh Pays and all that. Um, and uh, I can't think of his name, but, uh, you know, Co Cousin Oliver, you know, Robbie Riss. So, yeah. Yeah. so what's happening is when you're doing the first unit, when the actor turtles are working, it's a combination of the actor turtle who's basically doing the body suit work and then the puppeteer off camera who's working the face. The puppeteer actually had headphones on with lasers on it that pointed to the upper lip, the chin, and their cheekbone. So when one of the puppeteers would go, hey, dude, what's up? Those lasers would pick up the motion, send it via a remote control to a pack that was underneath the shell. A cable went up the back of the head, and that would operate all the servos in the head, and the head would go, so... We, inside the suit, the actor 
had headphones and a microphone and the puppeteer had headphones and a microphone. So as I'm Raphael, my puppeteer was David Greenaway, an English guy. Well, David Greenaway is the one saying all the lines for Raphael. So he's like, Leo, come on, man. We've got to go down in the sewers. Cowabunga, dudes. <laughs> so if you were to actually hear on set what the turtle sounded like, they mostly had English accents. It would have been great to hear crazy. him talk to David Warner like that. Yeah. yeah. So what, what's happening inside is we had spent a month rehearsing together before the movie ever started filming. And we did, we did interesting things. We would get together with the puppeteers. We would put on the turtle heads and we would literally play kids games. We would play games like charades or we would do improv. And we had to get, we had to start working so that our bodies and our movements and our motions were in tandem with what the puppeteer was saying. And it's, you know, it's not a simple process. People would be like, oh, you just walk around. But no, you have to be able to look the right way, look at the right characters, do the right things, create emotion up and down and do all this stuff to create for, for two people to create one character. So to answer your question in a long way, sometimes some of the actors, like I believe Leif Tilden, who played Donatello, I believe he, re- he said all his lines out loud with his mouth at the same time as his puppeteer. But what was recorded on the soundtrack was actually the puppeteer's voice. And that what was, was dubbed in later on. Nice. So, so then they're, um, they're the ones who are kind of interacting with like, like Paige Turco and, uh, and Ernie Reigns in the, uh, in the, uh, the secret of the use and all that. Cause it, it's just always kind of interesting on how this movie magic works. And I I'm so fascinated by the Henson company and everything there you can't see, but I've got like a huge fraggle rock display and all that. So I'm a huge fan of the dark crystal. So I, um, yeah, I, I, was so impressed by that one scene that you said where you saw um, Jim Henson just walk through and, and you described him as kind of like a religious figure. And I'm like, I would be the same way. I imagine the whole set just gets <laughs> reverent and all that. And just, everyone's like, Shh, it's him, you know? Yeah. He showed up on set one day in North Carolina. Unfortunately he passed away not too long after the first movie was finished being filmed. Um, but he just walked onto the set and as uh, during that movie, I was involved with the action and stunt unit. So there wasn't a lot of time to interact with him. I just, I just experienced his presence one time when he came on the set. And yeah, you're right. When he walked on, you know, this is a guy that I grew up with and he sounds like Kermit the Frog, you know, and he sounds like Ernie from Burton Ernie. And um, there he is in all his majestic glory. And like so many great artists who have changed the world in a certain way, there's a charisma and an energy that radiates around them. And he has that. And, you know, and when he walked, you felt it and you looked and you were in awe. He was an amazing guy, even for the short, brief few moments that I got to experience him. So I felt that same way when I experienced Clint Eastwood in the parking lot of a grocery store in Los Angeles. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, real, real quick. This is a true story. I'm walking down. From I parked my car, I'm walking into a grocery store on Laurel Canyon Boulevard in Los Angeles, and I stop dead in my tracks because I feel something. And I turn around purposely and look over my shoulder, and 30, 25, 30 feet behind me, it's Clint Eastwood getting out of a car, and he's walking in the parking lot right behind me. And I was like, wow. So then I just followed him around the grocery store and saw whatever. When he picked up cheese, I would go pick up the cheese. Oh, look at that. You're like, wow, this is great. You know, uh, (laughs) 
I don't know. He's he's someone where it's like it, it it's funny because um the, there's a little uh, comparison I would make with you to Clint Eastwood here. Um, you know, you, you did direct a movie about snipers, right? So there is that. Um, <laughs> you're a writer, director yourself. You know, um, I, I was just looking up your, your filmography and all that before we had started. And I saw you've got uh, uh, is it Dear Mom, Adventures of Johnny Tao and uh, Better Never Than Late, which is a fantastic title. So, you know, um, but directing, having that sort of experience, you're, would you qualify yourself or would you call yourself a creative person? Oh, absolutely. My whole life is about creativity. Yeah, born, born of imagination. Everything I do, I work in advertising and marketing now. I create uh, television and radio commercials. I write music. Um, so, yes, I, I consider myself a very creative individual. Nice. Uh, what do you play? Because you, you mentioned in the book about uh, possibly being in a band, but I didn't um, uh, pick up on what you were playing. Oh, yeah. I, um, I've played in a sort of garage bands since I was in high school. So I play guitar, bass, and drums. Oh, nice. Cool. So, yeah. Did you, um, did you ever have like a... Uh, like what would you, what would you say was like your style of music in garage bands? Were you like were you metal, like hair, frog rock? You know, um, we used to call it my my big band was a band in Los Angeles called Birthday Suit, and we used to play up and down the Sunset Strip. We packed out the House of Blues and the Viper Room and all that kind of stuff. And what we used to call it was groove rock. It was a mixture of like Lenny Kravitz meets kind of Southern rock, a little bit influences. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds like it's got a little funk edge to it. I like it. Yeah. A good bass beat. Yeah. My, my nickname in the band was Funk Foo. Oh, nice. <laughs> you do kicks on stage like David Lee Ross, Roth? Yeah. Uh, I actually, on stage, I actually wore a full uh, silk Chinese robe with a, a sash tied around and everything. Yeah. Well, that sounds comfortable. You know, well, awesome. you know, in, in comparison to, uh, you know, a foam latex suit and all that, I imagine that has to be so. Yes, my balls could breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. and oh. Eric, I was just going to say Go there's ahead. this one part in the book that you're, you're going to love when you when he starts talking about how they're putting plaster of Paris on his junk. And then <laughs> you're going to dig that part, man. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I know you had a couple I, of questions. Because, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was kind of curious. I'm not gonna lie um, about like the suits because I've watched the the behind the behind the shells, the the VHS or the turtles and stuff. And I know that you guys, you know, had it, the heads off and all that stuff, so that way you can, you know, cool down, breathe, and all that. About you know, like how much weight do you think you lost by you know, you know, throughout the whole movie wearing those suits? Because I know, I know for me, you know, I I have you know, did a, little, a couple of uh, boxing matches and I had to lose some weight and, you know, doing like the whole uh, sauna suit type thing. I mean, how much weight did you lose throughout this whole process? The one is, I mean, it, I know it took a toll on your body. Yeah, it was actually physically, it was very demanding. Um, ultimately, when it comes to weight loss, you know, you're talking about water weight because you're just sweating it yeah. out. You're sweating all day long. Yeah. Um, we probably sweat anywhere from six to 10 pounds out per day. But then at the end of each day, you're drinking Gatorade and orange juice and water, and it just comes right back. And then the next day you sweat out another six to 10 pounds. So it was really important for us not to lose any weight, but to keep consuming the calories and the liquids to replace that. Dehydration was a big issue for us. 
Um, a lot of the guys mm. suffered nosebleeds because the inside of their noses would crack from getting oh, wow. dehydrated. Um, you never, during the day, people are like, how do you go to the bathroom in that suit? Very rarely did you have to go to the bathroom, especially to pee, because there was no liquid in your body. You were just sweating it all out. So it wasn't that frequent that you really had to worry about that. So in between scenes sometimes, and you would, you would be wearing that head for, once they started rolling camera, you might be inside the head for an hour and a half or two hours at a, at a stint. Wow. It could be 20 minutes, but it might be two hours. By the time you take that thing off, man, you've been breathing your own carbon dioxide this whole time. Uh, you're sweating like crazy. You can barely see. So we had oxygen tanks standing by and you actually had to, to like a football player, get on the oxygen tank and start breathing and, you know, try and keep oh, yourself man. together. So yeah, a lot of water weight, a lot of uh, dehydration, uh, a lot of illness. <laughs> would you do it again? That's crazy. No, I would not do it again. So yeah, at this age, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get back in it for like a reunion or. Uh, if I got in a turtle suit now, I'd probably have a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> there's there. It's funny because there's a lot of people that cosplay this now and like the technology has changed with like the things that they use and all that. But, you know, these guys are essentially doing this for free and it's like they're putting themselves through like kind of a similar search situation. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if that's for me either. You know, I don't, I I don't know if I can handle this. that. I will say this. There are some cosplay suits out there and I don't care if you're wearing a, a French fry suit in front of a fast food place or a, a animal costume you got off of Amazon. Any costume work that you're inside, you sweat your ass off. But nobody can experience what it's like to be in an actual Ninja Turtle movie costume without being in an actual Ninja. I don't care. I've seen all the cosplay suits out there and they're hot, sweaty rubber contraptions. But when you put on a form-fitted foam latex suit with a computer pack underneath it and all the cables and the wires, and you got 65 pounds of stuff weighing you down, all oh, a man. That's one of the times on the, I believe it was the second movie, we were standing there. They, they, they well, we were sitting down actually. They had to build us special chairs. A turtle can't sit in a chair because you got a shell on your back. So they had to build us these things that look like go like sawhorses and you straddle it like a horse and they built a little shelf in front so you can lean forward and put your arms forward. So hmm. we're in between scenes and all four of us are like just laying forward, just sweating, red faced. I mean, we've been working, puffing, puffing and puffing. And through the set comes the, the movie publicist and the movie publicist is giving a tour to a journalist of some kind from some Hollywood magazine or something. And the journalist was a woman and she seemed what I will say for lack of a better word, a little hoity-toity in her appearance the way she was kind of walking around the set. And I heard her turn to the publicist after she looked at us in our sweaty misery. She turned to the publicist and said under her breath, they think they got it bad. The swamp thing, now he had it bad. <laughs> And I was like, boy, the Swamp Thing must have sucked ass because this feels pretty bad. But apparently the Swamp Thing went through some hell. Wow. Yeah. That Roger Corman wow. classic, right? The yeah. first one with Adrian Barbeau and the second one had Heather Locklear in it. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, there's there's some great stories in this book. Um, I, 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 I'm 
going to really recommend that any listener go out and check this out. The Teenage Ninja the Mutant Turtle becoming the real Raphael. I I really like the idea that you you um, got these friendships with a lot of people who there was a language barrier. There was like a cultural barrier, you know, and it's just like you come across as, as, as such like a friendly and welcoming fellow. And it, it's really nice to see that because mm-hmm. it's like when you're reading a Hollywood memoir or something like that, it's like, all right, you're trying to get ahead, but you're not stepping on anyone to get there, which is a really cool sort of way to see that you did it really makes us root for you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. You know, part of my approach to everything stuff um, is because of my martial arts background. Um, I, it, it seems like, hey, is our connection okay, fellas? Yeah, it's doing okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, my martial arts background, and, you know, inherent in martial arts and the code of Bushido and all that is, honor and truth and all that stuff and everything that really made me want to be a movie action hero in the first place. I wanted to represent those values because they were so important to me. It's one of the reasons Captain America is my favorite superhero of all time. He's literally like an American knight, you know? Um, So I love that guy. So that was kind of the way I went about everything I did. Sometimes I did a lot of stuff as is apparent in the book, with a lot of naivete and ignorance involved and, and didn't know what to do, but I always tried to do what I thought was right and treat people the way, you know, I would want to be treated. I will say that's not necessarily the way it works in Hollywood though. You know, nice guys often finish last in that paradigm. And had I been a little bit more of a, a jerk in some ways, and I don't mean to the people that we're talking about on Ninja Turtles and the people I befriended, but just moving forward earlier on, if I had learned to sort of, cover my butt a little bit more and watch out for myself. Who knows what could happen? Because as, as will happen, fellas, I'm writing a second book right now about my continuing adventures in Hollywood um, after Ninja Turtles. And about, it's about starring in the movie Showdown and then directing the movie Adventures of Johnny Dow and all the sort of wacky ninja adventures I had to go on to make those things come true too. Um, again, if I probably maybe acted a little bit more with a lot more self-interest, Maybe I could have accomplished some more things, but just wasn't in my nature. So here we are hanging out together. It's awesome. Well, since since you brought it up, uh, the movie Showdown, right? You you co-star with Billy Blanks, who who um, the listeners will know Billy Blanks as the creator of Tybo. So yes. um, what what was what was it like getting this this role? Like this seems like your dream come true from the beginning of of the book. Just I want to be an action star. I want to do martial arts and all that. What's it like achieving that? It is. There's no words to describe it other than saying it's a dream come true. And I could go on and on and espouse it. You know what happened with Ninja Turtles was I had set my goal when I was 13 years old to be an action hero in the movies. Well, that was interesting to hear about Vanilla Ice, though. Yeah, I thought that would be funny. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm learning like all kinds of new stuff. I'm like, you know, what's crazy though is that after me and my wife got married, we said I do. Yeah. That song, that song was played was Go Ninja, Go Ninja. Oh no, Go. kidding. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was literally like after we said that and. She had that for me saying, go Ninja, go Ninja, go. So. We got you back, Ken. Yep. Sorry about that, fellas. That's okay. Um, Someone's probably playing Fortnite or something. So. Huh. All right. Where, <laughs> were, 
I just got the look. Talking about showdown. <laughs> oh, talking about showdown, right. Yep. So here I was, I became a ninja right out of college. That was my dream come true. Even just being an extra in the Ninja Turtle movies. I was like, I'm on my way. This is it. So I did Ninja Turtles. It was a huge step. But really what happened when I got to Los Angeles after Ninja Turtles is it didn't matter. I was inside a rubber suit. So aside from being like an interesting talking point, it wasn't really a high quality acting resume piece. If I wanted to do more suit work, it would have been interesting, but I didn't want to do suit work. I wanted to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. So I went through all the stuff that I did, um, doing all the, pulling all the ninja tricks and things I could. And eventually got a deal with Imperial Entertainment who made Lionheart with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Nemesis with Olivier Gruner. And they brought me in and they talked to me about this movie they had called Double Dragon based on the original video game. And oh my God. And they gave me all the comic books and everything. And they said, oh, we're interested in you playing one of the brothers in the Double Dragon movie. And I'm like, this is awesome. So before they could get Double Dragon all ready to go, they decided, all right, we're going to do a two-picture kind of thing. We're going to start with this one movie that we're going to create for you called Showdown. So they created Showdown. Um, They brought in Billy Blanks, who was awesome, because I was an unknown. They could not sell a movie on Ken Scott's name. Didn't matter that I was a Ninja Turtle. But Billy Blanks had a big following in the international market and had done a lot of movies, King of the Kickboxers and TC2000 and all that. So Billy Blanks was to to make the movie sellable. Um, And so there was a known factor. So they created Showdown. Well, here I am, fresh off Ninja Turtles, not too long. I've got a movie company that makes Jean-Claude Van Damme movies writing a script specifically for me. I mean, they wrote the script. The main character's name is Ken and Billy. And the writer wrote it that way just because he wanted to think in his mind who the actors were. But then when they went to make the film, nobody ever bothered to find and replace Ken with David or Mark or Stan or whatever. So they just left it in. So I got to be Ken. Billy got to be Billy. We made the movie like that. And that was like the most awesome thing I could possibly imagine. It was a, it was Billy Blanks and Ken Scott starring in Showdown. And I was working out and had my abs ripped and the whole thing. And this was my Jean-Claude Van Damme moment. It was great. So how was the experience? It was the greatest experience of my life. I had Hollywood making a Ken Scott feature action. Wow. So when I was 13, that's what I wanted to do. And here I was at what, 24, 20, I don't even remember right now, 25 years old and it was happening. So it was awesome. So then whatever happened with, um, with Double Dragon, because they, uh, wasn't it Scott Wolf that ended up getting that with, um, was it Mark DeCostos? Yep. So. Yeah. They, they had, I wasn't in the room, so I can't say why it happened, what happened, but Scott Wolf was famous from Party of Five. Um, he was a known commodity. Mark DeCostos had his own following and Mark already had a relationship with these producers. And so, just when the second movie rolled around, it was time to do it. Scott Wolf became a, a better name to get involved with Mark DeCoscos. So you win some, you lose some. Wow. What, what an absolute misstep because have you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It actually bankrupt the company. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they, were supposed to, they were supposed to spend 8 million bucks on it. 
And I think when all is said and done, they spent almost 30 on it. It's, it's crazy, too, because you've got Alyssa Milano. You've got uh, Robert Patrick is in it. Uh, Andy Dick is in it as a weatherman. You know, it's just um, it's a little out there. And I'm like, wow. Now, if, if I think, like, what if we had you in it? That would be such a better movie. Well, I appreciate that. But that movie huh. might have been beyond hope. Well, I mean, maybe you could have helped with some of the suit work or something, too, and like tell them this would look a little bit more realistic than this guy with this weird head. You know, who knows? But yeah. um, yeah. it's it's a guilty pleasure. I watched it maybe six months ago. You know, um, it's it's you know, there's some interesting choices in uh, clothing in the early 90s and stuff. Yeah. It's like, all right, it's kind of fun to watch. And it's got like that that uh, Ninja Turtles uh, hideout vibe, you know. Right. Oh, that, that's a good question. That There's some really good sets that they had on this. Um, did you ever get to hang out in like any of those warehouse sets or anything? Um, or or the, uh, the turtle? Like, what were those like to be in? Well, it looks cool on film. It's miserable in person. It is know? miserable. See, that's what we want to know. We want to know that they're, they're miserable and they're leaky and they're cold. And, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, when you're talking about like the warehouse where all the, where the shredder has his, headquarters and all the kids are skateboarding and all that stuff that was an that was a, an abandoned cement factory no kidding just outside of wilmington north oh. carolina well wow. when you're looking for a comfortable setting an abandoned cement factory 12 hours a day for several days in a row is not the most comfortable place to work it's literally an abandoned cement factory so there's no places <laughs> to do anything so we were just you know, they, they got pop-up tents to keep the sun off you in the summer of North Carolina. And you just got folding plastic chairs to sit around in all day. And then when you go inside the warehouse, the, the area, it's not like, you know, you're literally playing on the skateboard tracks or anything like that. It's just all set. And all the actors are doing whatever they're supposed to do or the extras in their place. And they fill the whole thing with smoke to create that sort of dark environment. So overall, it was just a, it was a horribly uncomfortable, hot, smoky environment. And, uh, you know, the turtles lair and all that stuff, same thing, man. Once you're in these turtle suits and you're on a sound stage and they're just pumping it full of smoke and all this stuff, when you take off your turtle head, you've got black dirt just all around your eyes. You look like a raccoon and everything. It was, you know, I think it was um, Madeline Kahn, the actress, Somebody once asked her, is it fun to make movies? And she said, you know, it's like Twinkies. It's fun to eat Twinkies. It's not fun to work at the Twinkie factory. It's hard work, <laughs> you know? So that's not me to bitch. I mean, it's very, for working on movies is exciting and awesome. When you're into it and you live for it like I did, even being in an abandoned cement factory is a joy because you're making movies. You're not, you know, breaking rocks in the hot sun or... Yeah. serving coffee to people or something so it's awesome but it's not easy it's hard work it's very uncomfortable it's long long hours by the end of the days you're exhausted so especially when you're in a turtle suit you know it's crazy did you find that by the time you got to do showdown that uh they started treating you a little bit differently like um maybe not like to the extent of vanilla ice but um what about like uh like did you get that star treatment where they they treating you as as the lead well yes i definitely got it but you know you're talking about showdown which is less than a two million dollar movie it's not like it was a big studio movie or anything um this was in the heyday 
of independent martial arts action films that would go to Cinemax and HBO and oh, yeah. VHS and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, I did get that. Like, for instance, you know, I really worked out and trained hard to be in showdown. I got my body fat percentage down to 5.3. I was shredded like a, like a magazine athlete. Um, so on the set, you know, I was able to request, oh, I, I was a pesco vegetarian at the time, by the way. So everybody else got certain catering, but I had special catering that was done for me. Like the chef would make special fish and vegetables without the butter and everything. So I could keep my physique going for the movie. So it, I had my own trailer on that movie, you know? So yes, I got the minimal, when you're in the Screen Actors Guild, there's a certain minimal level of stuff that you get. There's a minimum weekly paycheck that you get. You have to get a trailer. You can only work so many days and so many hours in a day until you go into overtime. You have to eat a meal every six hours. But so there's all these rules to make sure that they don't drive you like cattle to make a movie. And so just getting the Screen Actors Guild minimum stuff as the star of the movie was better than I'd ever been treated in my life. It was That's great. great. Yeah. <laughs> so it was That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. What's um? Did you get to work out with Billy Blanks at all? Um, we didn't spend too much time working out. We spent a couple of days together just going through some of the scenes for training that's in the movie and working together to come up with ideas about what to do, like him throwing the basketballs at me and stuff like that. And then us running up the mountain with a sack of rocks on my back. So we got together a little bit and did a little bit of, um, I don't want to call it sparring because we didn't spar, um, but moving around, just like you see in the in showdown, you see Billy Blanks training me. Basically showdown for those that don't know, is like the poor man's karate kid. I play a Ralph Macchio character who moves to a new town, falls in love with the beautiful blonde girl, gets beat up by her karate boyfriend. And instead of learning karate from Mr. Miyagi, I learned it from Billy Blanks, who's the janitor at the high school because he used to be a cop and killed somebody. And now he's just working his way through life. Um, so <laughs> I help him redeem himself and he helps me redeem. It's karate kid all over again. Um, but doing uh, the, I forget now. I forget my point. I just started wailing on about karate uh, about what that was. Huh? Well, I just talked myself into a corner, fellas. <laughs> yeah. No, you good? I don't remember what that was about, but it was about to anyway. It was about Showdown, which is the poor man's karate kid. It was on. I got treated well, and I forgot your question. So sorry. It's okay. I mean, I was just listening. It's it's pretty funny. I was I I went off into a weird thing, and I'm like, is that kind of like Roadhouse? No, it's not like Roadhouse because there's no Karate Kid aspect of that. So I got I got lost somewhere too. But that's <laughs> awesome. Um, with this, um, after that, you moved on to another one, um, and this one with the uh, legendary Cynthia Rothrock, uh, sworn to justice. And in this one, you worked with some some really really big names. Um, including Walter Koenig from Star Trek. Were you a Star Trek fan growing up? I was not a fan of the, I was not, not a fan. Like I did not like it. And when I was a little kid, I actually had a blue Dr. McCoy Star Trek shirt. And my brother had the yellow Captain Kirk shirt. And so we used to play Star Trek and we'd set up a chair and all that kind of stuff and everything and act like we were on the ship. So I was aware of it. And as a kid, I sort of participated and played in it. But then when I was older, um, especially right around the time of Showdown, 
I got hooked on Star Trek Next Generation with Jean-Luc Picard. So I'm all, I was all about Next Generation, man. That and the X-Files. I learned about those two yeah. shows while I was training for Showdown because that's all I could do is eat, work out, and then watch TV for an hour or two and then go to bed. And those were the shows that caught me. I loved them. You, you know so, yeah. that they've both crossed over with the Ninja Turtles. So they made uh, Ninja Turtles out of uh, like Star Trek characters. So they made figures of those. But there was a comic mm-hmm. that they did uh, maybe 2009 or something, maybe maybe after that. But it was uh, the Turtles crossover with the X-Files and it was the Lone Gunman. And um, it, it's pretty cool. Who was in the Star Trek one? Who was Raphael? Do you remember? Uh, he was Scotty, I think. I think he was okay. Scotty. Yeah, oh, because Scotty wore red. Okay. Yeah, I recently saw um, Sting, the wrestler. He and I go to shows sometimes. Oh, um, nice. And um, there's an action figure that Sting and Raphael mixed together. Oh, that's so cool. But oh. yeah, Sworn to Justice, man. That was chock full of so many like known actors. Mako was yep. in it, um, who's in so many things. Walter Koenig was in it. Um, Mako actually played Splinter in the tw- uh, 2007 film. I think it was um, the film that came out right after he passed, but uh, he played Master oh, yeah. Splinter. Um, y- you might know Mako as, uh, I, would you call him like the magician or the wizard from Conan and the Barbarian? Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I would call him. Yeah, yep. the wizard. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That and Kurt McKinney from No Retreat, No Surrender. Yes. Um, I was telling Eric about this movie because I watched it recently. <laughs> it, it, I think this was like Jean-Claude Van Damme's first time on screen or something like that. And um, he's fighting what uh, Kurt McKinney, who, who looks like, you know, like this this guy that just comes into the gym and all that and is fighting. And I'm like, dude, this movie is bonkers. It was so nuts. Yeah, that was, that was Jean, that, Jean-Claude's first appearance on screen is he's actually an extra and I think it's Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo. Ah, there's, that's a, a good movie. there's a scene where everybody's kind of dancing on a basketball court and he's standing behind him in a unitard and he's kind of doing his little Jean-Claude dance that he does. <laughs> I've seen I've seen that oh. gift. Yeah. yeah. And I know I know he started out as the predator too, you know, uh, the similar circumstance to yourself in like a mm-hmm. hot rubber suit. But um, you know, I, I don't think they uh they were definitely on a jungle soundstage though. Yeah, I don't think he ever made it to the Predator. I think he was in consideration for being part of it and something didn't work. And, yeah. you know, he couldn't fit in this. The Predator was a big dude. Yeah. John Claude was my guy growing mm-hmm. up. You know, I, I never really got into um, the Steven Seagal stuff. But um, just like for, for martial art, it's like, I mean, I could watch Hard Target. I could watch, you know, um, Double Team, any of those. Like that was that was mm-hmm. my jam. So, and then years later, when I ran a blockbuster, people would ask me, they're like, oh, what's good to watch? And I'm like, have you seen Double Impact? No? Okay. That's one of my Blood favorite. Sport. Yeah, Blood so, Sport. Double Impact is one of Blood my Sport's favorite. My favorite. Yeah, Blood Sport, Lionheart with Rudy Ray Moore. Come on, you know? Um, so back going back to this, like we, we were talking a little bit about this. Um, you mentioned Captain America. What's your take on on cinema now? Like like your whole Marvel movement and like DC and stuff like that. Do you get really into this or are you kind of over that whole part of your life? No, um, um, there's a lot of it, you know, growing up and as I was working through my career, if, an, if any action movie came out, whether on video or the theaters, I was there. It was all, I was all about it. Now I'm in my fifties. And to be honest, I really don't care anymore. There's so many people doing so many amazing things. And the way the Chinese film industry has come up 
and the effects and cinematography and everything they're able to bring and the meshing of those two, you know, with the matrix and you and Wu Ping doing all that choreography and direction with those guys. So it's gotten to the point now where everything's amazing. <laughs> Everybody's really, really good. And whether you're watching Donnie Yen or the matrix people or whatever, they can make almost anybody look fantastic doing their stuff. So mm-hmm. everything's so hyper real now that I think I've become a little desensitized to a lot of stuff. Um, you know, back in the days when I was doing it, it was like, man, these guys went to Thailand and they kicked the shit out of each other while they're making these movies and it's real and it's visceral and it's all this kind of stuff. Um, Plus now, you know, I'm seeking out entertainment through literature and movies and that with a little bit deeper bent than some of that stuff. But I still love a great action movie. Like I just saw, you know, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. No way home. But when it comes to the Marvel movies, the first and original MCU series that they just completed that starts with, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's Iron Man, which I think is the greatest superhero movie ever made at this point. I just think it's the best film made. I hate saying that because Captain America is my guy. And I think Captain America <laughs> is right up there, but it's not as good as that first Iron Man. Something about when that first Iron Man happened, John Favreau put together such a piece that it was just, it deserved what it was and what it became. And it gave birth to all these other things that we're seeing and doing now. So I rode that whole Marvel Universe thing and loved it. I love the Ant-Man movies. Um, I love all things Captain America. I love Iron Man. The Avengers were good. The Avengers started to do that thing where every movie, it had to be as big as it could. In every, in every movie, it seemed like the sky opened up and a bunch of a million things were coming in to destroy the Earth and the Avengers <laughs> yep. had to stop it. It started to feel like that was just repeating itself after a while. So... I became, I become desensitized to it a little bit. Um, but for instance, this Tom Holland, I think is doing a fabulous job as Spider-Man and the movies they've made. And now this third one with all the things that it does and the tricks and tips and all the stuff that it, it brings out of the spider, the spider verse, I think is awesome. So I, I'm still into it. I'm still a Captain America guy in my heart. Um, I still like to look at comics every once in a while. I mean, I don't, I don't buy comics now. I don't read them or anything. But every once in a while when I'm at Comic-Con, I will stop and I'll go to like the dollar comic bin or something. And I'll just pick out three or four random things that I might have used to read, like Master of Kung Fu or The Punisher. I'll grab three or four. And while I'm in that town that weekend, back at the hotel, I'll just go through some of the old comic books from my heyday, which is, you know, the 80s. and Yeah, basically the 80s, really. So... I, I do like that stuff. Uh, I'm into it. I don't follow it as closely as I used to, though. Do you um, do you read the turtles like uh, in, in your past? You, you just said you're not reading now, but um, like, uh, are you familiar with anything like the last Ronin or anything that's going on? I'm familiar with it, but no, my entire turtle experience is from in behind the mask. I, I had heard of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because of my martial arts background when the movie came out. But I mean, when the movie was first being made but i didn't know anything from anybody when i was on the set of the movie i would be like who's that and somebody would be like oh that's april o'neill and i'm like who's april o'neill and they're like oh she's like lois lane to the turtles i'm like who's that oh that's casey jones 
he's like their friend. And I'm, so I learned who all the Ninja Turtles and the characters were based on working on the movie. Since the movies, I don't have one single Raphael or Ninja Turtle thing in my house. I don't have funk pops. I don't have anything. Um, <laughs> I don't wear, you know, Raphael shirts or anything like that. I, I go to cons all the time. I represent, I do it. I love it. I get fan art. I have one or two pieces of fan art on my wall. Um, but outside of that, no, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I saw the 2011 animated movie TMNT and I thought it was really good. I think that's the one with Mako. Yeah, it is. Yep. Right. And Chris Evans who played, that. um, uh, Captain America played Casey Jones in that. Oh, no kidding. Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. Oh, right on. Um, I never saw the Michael Bay movies, um, not because I'm sour grapes about it, because anytime anything Ninja Turtle comes out, it's good for everybody in the Ninja Turtle world and family. You know, every time a new Ninja Turtle thing comes out, at one point during that period of time, thousands of people around the world turn to their friend on the couch and go, you know, I met Raphael once. And it's like, so there's always good juju out in the universe when Ninja Turtle stuff comes out. But as a film fan, I am not a fan of Michael Bay work. Um, and I'm, and so when I, and then when I saw the turtles and I saw these sort of giant, uh, inflated steroid induced kind of, you know, uh, things, it didn't appeal to my sensibility anyway. So I just never had a desire to go see them. I, I don't need to go see it to compare it to the old ones. I know that it's just another Michael Bay movie. So, you know, um, the, the, the classics, I mean, they, me personally, they'll never, they'll never get topped. I mean, I know they're coming out with like, what is it, like four different kind of movies coming up here soon in the next couple of years. Oh yeah, the what uh, they're talking about was it uh, Seth Rogen films and all that. Oh yeah, Seth Rogen, the guys from Saturday Night Live are working on a live action. Uh, I know they're talking about the rise of TMNT, and I think I think it's three, three or four. I can't remember if there is a fourth one or not, but I mean, it's. It's. It, I'm sorry. It just. It'll. It'll never top the the, the first two, first two well, movies. And I think that's like what we were talking about before. It's, uh, you know, there's something visceral and real about the first two. Yeah. You can. Oh, yeah. You literally, can reach out and touch the turtle. It's not a mm-hmm. computer generated one that looks really great. It's a real guy in a real suit there in the moment. Yeah. And so many great yeah. things came together with the Jim Henson puppet tectronics. That was the most advanced animatronics for any movie thing ever uh in ninja turtles um so all that stuff that came to you steve baron who's a visionary director you know a lot of people don't know this but the, the director of the first ninja turtle film was a visionary music video director he directed the billy jean music video with michael jackson he directed <laughs> dire straits the animated money for nothing video and he directed one of the most famous videos of all time besides those two which is the video by the band aha for the song take on me where the guy's turning into a comic book and then turning into real life. So he did all that. And he directed the storyteller for Jim Henson. I love they that. Found this really interesting guy awesome. that put together this first movie. It was dark and kind of weird. And he didn't cast it with like, you know, Hollywood classic, good looking, you know, just actors. He put in these interesting, like Judith Hogue is beautiful but she's not like your classical leading lady. And Elias Coteas, who plays Casey Jones, he's like a legitimate thespian. He's not just some 
muscle guy, you know, that was hired, who's a former wrestler to sell tickets. So yeah. Steve, uh, he really put together this uh, amazing movie for that first one to launch everything, yeah. you know, that was spawned from that. It, it's so funny because I, I was like, this didn't even come into my head. It didn't even occur to me when you had said that the turtles don't hit anyone with their weapons, don't use their weapons at all in the second movie. And I just keep going back. And, and when anybody asks me, they're like, which is your favorite? I always go to Secret of the Ooze. That's that's the one that I have the emotional connection to. That's the one that it's like, I'm like, I'll watch this 100 times. I don't even care. You know, the, is the first one so dark and gritty? And I think the, the, the big difference for me is you've got Kino versus Danny. And I could I could not relate to Danny. So I was just like, maybe that's the difference. But um, I don't know. I just love those. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, talk out there, you know. Um, Danny, again, that's why the first movie's so weird. Danny is like this, he's not just some lovable, cute kid. He's kind of a weird, you know, kid. And, Another outcast. And, and, and the way he's dressed in this yeah. vicious t-shirt and stuff like, you know, the first, in the first movie, the guy, you know, Sam Rockwell, it's his first job in, in any Hollywood movies. He's, he's offering the kids cigarettes. That would never happen in Secret no, of the Definitely Use, not. You know? yeah. Secret of the Use was a kid's movie. They replaced Casey Jones with Kino because Kino was a kid and kids could identify with the pizza guy. It allowed kids to put themselves into the movie. In the first one, there was nobody to do that. So they did things like, they, you know, became more cartoonish with Toka and Razar and all that kind of stuff out there. So um, there, was a, there was a change uh, tonally over the first three movies that happened because of the different approach by the producers, the money that they did or did not want to spend and the three different directors as well. That's awesome. Now, yeah. Ken, I know we, we could probably ask you a thousand questions, but I know we're getting short on time just as you are. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, Eric, did you have anything else that you wanted to say? Um, you, you've certainly answered a ton of my questions. I just yeah. uh, want to mention everybody check out Teenage Ninja to Mutant Turtle Becoming the Real Raphael by Ken Scott. And um, I'll let you uh, wrap it up here, Eric. Yeah, I mean, you you answered like I had a line of questions here to, to ask you and you answered most of them and everything. But, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It is it is an honor to meet you. I'm a big, big, big Raphael fan. Justin knows it. And. You know, it, it's it's definitely an honor to to meet you to uh, to get to know you and get to know how you became become Raph, and as well as like more of the history of the turtles and as well as your background too. And like, I greatly appreciate you coming on here and you know taking your time out to be a part of this. Thank you very much. Well, I really appreciate that, man. Thanks a lot, to Eric and Justin. It's good to be here with you guys. Um, I love telling the stories and sharing them. It's been thirty, a little over thirty years now, doing it. I can't say enough. If the people out there listening to us are true fans of the movies, um, they should check out the book. You can go to turtleconfessions.com. And at turtleconfessions.com, I made all kinds of videos talking about being on the movie. There's photos you can download. Uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff. And then there's a link right to Amazon where the book is only $10. It's $9.99. So it's cheaper oh. than a movie ticket, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I can't recommend it enough to people who are real Ninja Turtle movie fans. I wrote it for, for them, for us, for you guys, because you don't often get a chance to sit with a Ninja Turtle and ask all these questions and find out the secrets and what went on. 
So luckily I was the first to do it. I've tried to put that in the book and share so much and even more so that people would have a really good time reading it. So it seems to be a success. Check out turtleconfessions.com. Check out the book. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Do you have any appearances coming up or anything like that uh, for 2022? Yeah, I'm going to be, the next one I know about is I'm going to be in South Carolina on, I think it's April 9th and 10th. I'll be in Greenville at the SC Comic Con. Uh, I know I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia in June for the Ranger Pop and Stop or Ranger Stop and Pop. Um, And then there's a couple more coming up, but uh, again, on my on the website turtleconfessions.com, that stuff is usually available. Needs Perfect. To be yeah. Okay. On that note, we'll take a break and we will come back afterwards. Uh, thank you, Mr. Ken Scott. Thanks, guys. Calabunga, you dudes. All right, and we are back. It's uh, Justin and Eric here, just uh, coming down after our interview with Mr. Ken Scott, who was the uh, the actor playing Raphael in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one and two. And also the fellow Chucker, eh? So mm-hmm. what do you think, man? Pretty pretty exciting to get to talk to one of your childhood heroes. And uh, I mean, just the experiences that he was able to share with us about the film industry. That was really great. Yeah, it, it was. It was definitely interesting because, you know, one fact that I didn't, I didn't really know about him was that, you know, all the like main action scenes of the foot soldier where he was jumping down the axe and, you know, him. I knew about the chucking. Thing. but like when it comes to the other stuff i didn't know that was him they put him in all in those main parts of you know being the foot soldier he was like the main guy you know it's, i mean it, it, it's crazy too because like he got the job like he said because of uh his ability with the nunchucks like he really impressed mm-hmm. them with that you, th- you would think oh it's got to be michelangelo right nope well you know he's the one who's up against michelangelo and <laughs> michelangelo yeah yeah, I it, it it seems like with like his story is that like he literally just started from the bottom of the barrel and rose to the top. You know, He's a driven man, him. and and yes. the the coolest thing about getting to talk to him was getting to know just how he holds dear these principles of uh, the martial arts and that way of life and all that. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just like it's a joy and a pleasure to get to talk to someone that's so into that culture. And I mean, yeah. he doesn't have to play at this; he is that. He is a ninja, yes. you know, which is just like, yeah. that was, that was just really cool. It's like, we interviewed a ninja. So- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much interviewed a ninja and it was just like with him, you know, playing the part as a ninja turtle. I mean, it was, it suited him, you know, that, well, I guess you could take it, you know, literally like he, it suited him because he <laughs> and was he in suited, city, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a good pun there. Yeah. And, but, you know, I mean, it was just—I don't know. I, I think it was destined for him to be to be that person. Yeah, you and know, there's was, there's a clear progression in the book when he talks about it, and, and he he pretty much gave us like the story of how it happened, but it's it's a lot more colorful in the book. So I think that after mm-hmm. after you read it and and um, you know for the listeners and all that, take a look at it. I I tore through this thing and I, I think it finished at like 1:30 a.m. and I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. I was all hyped up and I'm like, this is just the coolest, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I really liked it and and I'm a, I'm a big reader, so you know it's not it's not too difficult for anyone who's listening. And you're like, oh, I don't like to read. I'm like, it's probably like 235 pages and it's it's broken down in a way where there's just little chapters and then you kind of move on. 
but the the nuggets that you get there are just it's really really great and um he had talked about this other one uh for more fun for more info and fun visit turtleconfessions.com and you, and um, i didn't even check that out i just i just read through the book and i i didn't even notice that so i'm like geez i gotta check that out yeah i'm definitely gonna look into it uh i mean you know especially it's gonna be helping you know sea turtles you know my son he uh Absolutely. He does this one little thing. He got like we got this like bracelet for him where it helps out, you know, sea turtles and all other kind of like sea animals and stuff. Oh, and is that the one that's made from I, like recycled plastic? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, my son, we got that. We got that for my son, and like uh, uh, one YouTuber did something. I mean, something about saving the turtles too, as well, and so we donated money to that too, and all that so but i i'm it's definitely gonna be it for a good cause and i'm definitely gonna go check it out myself i'm probably gonna read a book i'm not a reader and i have a feeling that i might get hooked i i agree and, and <laughs> since you since you brought it up it's the siege the the proceeds to benefit the sea turtle conservancy so if anyone's unfamiliar with that the sea turtle conservancy is the oldest sea turtle organization in the world starting in 1959 and their efforts have been instrumental in saving the caribbean green turtle from imminent extinction so their goals are not only to save these endangered and at-risk species but to raise awareness and increase protection for turtles around the world so that's the uh, Sea Turtle Conservancy, and uh, Ken has, done, has donated a portion of the proceeds of this book to that great cause, you know, and uh, any turtle lover say, you know, um, saving a turtle, never a bad idea. You know, um, well, we'll, we'll probably um, we'll probably bring this one to a close. I know we're going to do a pizza recipe uh, after this, but um, Eric, any thoughts for the listeners? Um, you want to bring us home? Oh. Yeah. Bring it home. Um, I mean, if anybody's out there listening, I mean, definitely look into this book. I mean, it's also going for a good cause too, as well. And you know, I mean, any any turtle fanatic, any turtle movie lover, just any, I'm I'm going to get it. And <laughs> so I, I I'm 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 hoping that other people will any, that will get it. That's anybody that's listened to this, you know, should definitely take a look into it and do get it and help the sea turtles too yeah and it's got Raphael on it so you can display it in your room so you know absolutely i mean it'll go somewhere i don't know where but it'll go somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so on that note we'll say goodbye here uh we'll be right back with a pizza time and um we will check you out be sure to check out our face group epic shells and check us out at epic at epic tales from the sewers on wherever you can find podcasts Hi, this is Adam, a.k.a. Casey Jones from Casey Jones Livewire, and you're listening to Epic Tales from the Sewers. Time for a knuckle sandwich, punk. It's pizza time. And now, in a segment that we call Pizza Time, where we discuss any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or pizza-related food, I give you Pizza Time. Okay, so pizza time today is not exactly pizza-themed, but it is Raphael-themed. And after all, this episode's all about Raphael after speaking with uh, Ken Scott. So today's recipe is going to be for Raph's waffles. This makes two waffles. When Raphael needs a cure for the midnight munchies, he reaches for one of these bad boys. They're the perfect thing to chow down on while waiting for Bugzilla vs. the Snail Monster or an Ace Duck movie marathon. Pro tip, double the recipe if you've got a Michelangelo in the house. 
Ingredients. One pound ball of pizza dough, homemade or store-bought. One third cup no-cooked tomato sauce or store-bought marinara, plus more for dipping. Four thin slices of pancetta. One half cup shredded low-moisture mozzarella cheese. Dried oregano. Extra virgin olive oil for brushing. Non-stick cooking spray for greasing. Lighten it up, dudes. Use the whole wheat pasta, pasta dough if you want to go a little bit, little bit lighter on this. Instructions. Preheat a Belgian or other 1-inch deep waffle iron on the medium-high setting. Cut the ball of dough into four equal-sized pieces. Set two pieces aside and cover them with a damp dish towel. On a floured work surface, roll or stretch out the first two dough pieces to fit just inside the mold of your, mold of your waffle maker. Step four, spread a spoonful of marinara sauce on one of the rolled out, stretched out discs and spread it out, leaving a one inch border of dough all around. Step five, place two slices of pancetta on top of the sauce, then half of the cheese. Sprinkle with oregano. Step six, brush the exposed border of dough with olive oil and then brush some more olive oil around the perimeter of the second rolled or stretched out dough disc. Invert the naked dough disc onto the dressed one in a and pinch around the edges to seal. Brush the top with olive oil. Step seven, open your waffle iron. It should be really hot by now and coat it with a nonstick cooking spray. Carefully invert the pizza dough packet into the iron, oiled side down and brush the top of it with more olive oil. Choose the waffle iron, close the waffle iron and cook for three to five minutes or until the crust is golden brown, but is still springy to the touch. This part is loud and messy as some of the cheese sauce will bubble and ooze out of the side of the waffle iron. Step 9. When the waffle is done, remove it from the iron and repeat with the remaining dough pieces and filling. Step 10. To serve, fill a ramekin or small bowl with some marinara sauce. Cut the waffles into wedges or, or sticks and serve them with the sauce for dipping. Thanks everybody for your, your pizza time today, Raph's Waffles. Cowabunga, dudes! Thank you for listening to the Epic Tales from the Sewers podcast. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. This podcast has no affiliation with Eastman, Laird, Mirage Studios, IDW Studios, Archie Comics, or Nickelodeon Studios. This podcast is a member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. Check out thedorkening.com for other podcasts. Epic Tales from the Sewers is recorded by Justin Cooper and Eric Will. Hey there, Turtle fans. Check out BigCountryComics.com for the exclusives and variants that you're looking for. Featuring the art of Mike Ruth and Hugh Rookwood. You can find graded books, Funko Pops and figures, statues, even Big Country Comics exclusives. Books from Aftershock, Boom, Image, DC Comics, IDW. Everything from Swamp Thing to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle covers. You can get them raw, remarked, signed, even slabbed. Available at BigCountryComics.com. Don't forget, buy one, get one 50% off on graded books. And dudes, be sure to use our code EPICSHELL for an extra 15% off of your order. Check out BigCountryComics.com. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe, and there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. 
<laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs>